Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Are you in the book of Jude? That's where we're going to be tonight. Uh, Jude, we're going to be looking at verses 8 down through verse number 16. Uh, my intent is not to get through those verses, as you probably well know. I do want to try to get through verse 8, 9, and 10 and look at that a little bit this evening. Uh, so we're going to be in the book of Jude. I want to just to refresh our memories a little bit. It's been several weeks since we've been in this study and we had our vault meeting last week and so then we had Easter and so we've kind of been preoccupied with a lot of things. So let's go back for a, for a quick review. If you remember, Judah's writing in verse number three and he says, dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, he said, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith. Now, the question is, why did Jude find it necessary to change his thought process and the direction that he was writing. Immediately you'll tell me because God told him to, and I'll say, yep, that's exactly right. But there was a reason why God told him to change his thought process and his direction and write now about apostasy and false witnesses and false teachers and heretics. The reason he changed his thought process, he wanted to write about this wonderful salvation, but he changed it to write and expose the apostates, the false teachers that were in the church. And that's the reason he started writing, because they were already in the church. Even in Jude's day, they had already creeped in to the New Testament church that Jude was a part of. So early on, we've had false teachers. A lot of people think, well, that's just a sign of the last days. And you know what? You're exactly right, because the last days started at the ascension of Christ. Okay? So we've been in the last days for 2,000 plus years, and a lot of times people think the last days are, you know, 2,000 through 2013. Those are the last days. No, it's from the ascension of Christ till now. So some 2,000 years we've been in the last days, and we've seen these false teachers all through those last days. So I want to draw that to your attention. Look what he says in verse number 4, just by way of review. For some men who were, who were designated for this judgment long ago, get this, have come in by stealth, and they are ungodly, and they're turning the grace of our God. Man, that's good stuff right there. They're turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our Master and Lord. So what, what Jude is saying here in verse number 4 is that they've already, they've already entered into our churches. They have already entered into, get this, positions of leadership, positions of influence. They're, they're already strolling in. Now you've got to realize, on the outside, it looks like they got it all together. But on the inside, there's a, there's a, there's a spirit of, of malice and intent to, to draw people away into, into their way of humanistic and false teaching. And we see that in the church today. But, but please, don't, please get this. Apostates and false teachers aren't always the preachers. Now, a lot of them are. But a lot of times there's false teachers sitting in the pews. 
And they've got control of a small group of people. Maybe they're leading a small group. Maybe they're in a Bible study with a small group. Maybe they're influencing three or four or five families. And we've got to keep our guard out wherever it is that we're hearing the Word of God being taught, not just put our guard up on Sunday when we hear the preacher preach. Right? Although there's a lot of preachers preaching all across the nation today that I would call heretics, that, that I just wouldn't follow. And I'm not going to start naming names. Some folks want me to name names. I'm not going to name names. Just listen to what they're teaching. And just get in the Word of God and find it out for yourself. There's a bunch of them out there. And if I start naming names and I name six or eight and I leave four or five out, some people may think, well, those four or five are good because he didn't name them all. So I'm not even going to get into the naming of names. I don't think that's going to do anybody any good. Pay attention to the doctrine that's in the Word of God. When you do that, then you should be able to discern for yourself. There should be red flags popping up all the time when you hear such as this. But Jude is saying that these false teachers, they've already made their way into the church. Okay? They're people of influence. They're influencing, whether it's one family, two families, a group, a class, a, or, or the whole church, they're already impacting and influencing the church. So I just want to draw your attention to that. In verses 5 down through verse number 7, 5, 6, and 7, Jude takes us back and he, he draws our attention to some history that the Jewish people, the Israelites, were very familiar of. And he goes back and he talks about the apostate Israelites and he gives us that definition, if you will, or it talks about the people out of Egypt, how they later destroyed those who did not believe. And then we have the apostate angels. And then we have the apostate Gentiles, the angels that did not keep their first estate, uh, the Gentiles that, that went away from God and started committing these horrendous acts of, of physical immorality. And, and so there he gives us some examples. But I want you to pay attention to verse number 8. In verse number 8, he says the word, nevertheless. So what he's doing now, he's drawing us back into the local church. Okay? In verses 3, 4, and 5, he's talking about what's taking place in the church. Then it's almost like he, he chases a rabbit and he goes back here and he gives some examples of what they should remember going back in their history and looking at Israel and the apostates that were there, looking at the angels, the apostates that were in the angelic group, looking at the Gentiles, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, the apostates that were there. And then he says, nevertheless, he's bringing it back now into the local church. Okay, so I want you to see now we're back in the church. Okay, he went back, he took us back in history, took us back and showed us some historical facts that took place. Nevertheless, now we're back in the church and he says, these dreamers likewise defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme glorious ones. And I'm just going to read through verse number 16. In verse number nine, yet Michael, the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body, did not dare bring an abusive condemnation against him. But said, the Lord rebuke you. That's profound right there. And I, I want to I lean into that a little bit here in just a minute. Verse number 10. But these people blaspheme anything they don't understand. And what they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, they destroy themselves with these things. Woe to them, for they have traveled in the way of Cain and have abandoned themselves to the heir of Balaam for profit and have perished in Korah's rebellion. Verse 12, these are the ones who are like dangerous reefs at your love feast. They feast with you, nurturing only themselves without fear. They are, get this, they are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, 
twice dead, pulled out by the roots, wild waves of the sea, foaming up on the sh- of sh- foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of the darkness is reserved forever. Man, that's some pretty vivid illustrations, and I can't wait till I get there and start unpacking those. In verse 14, And Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied about them. Lord, or look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all to convict them and all their ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and all of the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against them. Verse 16, these people are... Now here it gives a summary of these apostates, of these false teachers, of these heretics. Now, before I finish this, let me remind you, sometimes we think, well, this... To be an apostate is kind of the end result. Now I'm an apostate. I think there's a process to becoming an apostate. I think there's a process to getting away from the truth of the gospel of grace and moving into a direction of these false teachers that were taking place even in this day. Guys, you realize that every occult that is out there today, when you boil it all down, at the bottom of it is a grain of truth, right? Now, of course, it's been exploited and taken out of context and things have been added to it and taken away from it and and they built this whole movement on it that is so far out of the book and, and those are pretty obvious. But the point I want you to get, a lot of times we think, well, none of us are apostates. But my question is, are you on the road to becoming one? Let that soak in. Are we traveling down the right path? Are we staying true to the gospel of grace, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we staying true to the teachings of the scripture, the word of God? Because you don't all of a sudden wake up one day and boom, today I'm a false teacher. It's kind of a process of things that you've compromised in your life, some doctrines that you've no longer, uh, you kind of push aside and maybe you take a different view of interpretation, which my view of that is only one interpretation of Scripture and many applications. So, But now you start turning your application into interpretation and, and now you're stepping further and further and further away from the doctrine of truth. And now it seems like you're on this pathway of apostasy. But a lot of times in our thinking, sitting in the church pew on Sunday or even Wednesday evening with a Bible in our hand, we think all the apostates are those that are out there that are willfully heretics. Now, yes, those are, but how'd they get there? They got there just by sitting where you are today and gradually compromising, watering down, cutting out, removing, getting away from the doctrines of the teaching of the Word of God. And I see more and more and more of that in this age of political correctness. Matter of fact, I read an article yesterday. I I didn't see the report. I didn't see the interview. But I read an article about an illegal immigrant that was here illegally in America that had not gone through the process of getting their immigration papers but now is out front, and you may have seen this on the news, you may have heard about it, is out front leading the way and telling everybody and making his case in courts and everywhere, that he should not be called illegal. 
It's degrading to him. I am a person. I'm not illegal. Well, if you're here illegally, you're, you're illegal, an illegal immigrant. And, of course, the, the article I was reading was talking about if you're driving with your driver's license uh, expired, then you're, Ill- you're an illegal driver. But my whole point in that is no one wants to call a spade a spade. Everyone is afraid of offending everybody. So, therefore, it's like we, we can't really... And it, it works its way into the church. And the church says, to a degree, we can't really preach on that. It may offend someone. We can't really camp out there on that doctrine because it may offend someone. And guys, let me tell you, that's, that, that is a slippery slope. When you start compromising the teachings of the Word of God in fear of offending someone or in fear of losing a family or, or I've, even, I've even kind of seen this, Man, do you realize how much money that family gives to the church? We can't, we can't address anything. With... No. You, you see, I, 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 listen, I sold out to preach the gospel a long, long time ago. And I remember my, my very first church where I went as a full-time pastor. And, and uh, you know, when I kind of started out, I didn't realize you'd get paid for doing this. I just thought you did it. And all of a sudden, God kind of opened the doors and allowed me to get paid for doing this. I'm, man, this is cool. I'm getting paid to do what I love to do and what God's called me to do. But I remember sitting with those deacons, and we were talking about that, and, I said, and we were talking about my salary and different things. First church I went to, the pastor, and I was full-time, and we're unpacking the whole salary package, which was all brand new for me. They didn't teach me anything in Bible college about working through a financial package as a full-time pastor. I, all of that was new. I was like a, you know, a deer in a headlight look, like Dave's analogy there. And um, I like to use a bullfrog in a hellstorm. I was kind of just sitting there. And, but I finally told him, I said, guys, listen. And we're working through different things. I said, listen, I want you to know one thing. I'm going to preach the Bible. And my tongue is not going to be tied to a paycheck. And if you want to pay me fine, if you don't want to pay me fine, I got into this thing without knowing I'd even get paid for it. So the fact that you're paying me is going to be okay. I'm going to preach the book. And, and I told him from that day, and I'll even tell you to this day, I am not going to tie my tongue to a paycheck. I am going to stand true to the word of God if it hair lips the devil and everybody else that follows him. Right? I mean, I am not going to preach in a way that just tries to draw a crowd and not offend anyone. Now, I believe we've got to share the truth in love. I believe I need to smile more when I'm preaching. Sometimes I preach with a scowl and I apologize if I offend, but I get so passionate about the word. And so I realize that, that we've got to deliver the truth in a, in a passionate way, in a loving way, in a kind way. But at the same time, we can't compromise the truth in fear of offending someone. Does all that make sense? If we do, then we find ourselves on that slippery slope to becoming an apostate, a false teacher, a heretic. You don't, you don't go to bed one day rock solid in the faith and the word of God and wake up the next day a heretic. It just doesn't happen like that. Right? It's a process of compromising scripture and convictions of scripture and the interpretation of scripture down through the years in order to draw a mass crowd and following. And we're going to see a little bit of that here later in this text. So therefore, I want you to pay attention to the attitude and the mindset and some of what's going on with these apostates that, that Jude shares with us in verse 16. Look, look there. I said all that to say this so I could read verse 16. These people, get this now. These people, now get this. <laughs> I love this. These people are sitting in the church. Okay? That's what Jude's addressing. He's addressing 
the false teachers, the heretics, the apostates, those that are on that pathway that are sitting in the church right now. He's not warning those to watch out that they may come in. He tells us that they've already come in. That's where I want you to camp out, okay? That's where I want you to see. They've already come in by stealth. He's saying they're already among you. Look what they're doing, verse 16. I promise you I'm going to read this verse. Verse 16. These people are discontented grumblers. Whoa. Are you a grumbler? Are you complaining? Are you critiquing? Are you criticizing? Are you finding the faults in everybody else? If so, you may be on the pathway of becoming a false teacher or an apostate. Discontented grumblers. Get this, number two. Walking according to their desires. You know what that means? It's my way or the highway. This is the way it needs to be done. My way. Woo. Discontented grumblers, complainers, critiquing. Just discontented. And, and I don't like the way you're doing it. This is the way we need to be doing it. I don't like the way you're leading. This is the way we need to be doing it. Wow. The rubber's kind of meeting the rubber. I told you to buckle up. The book of Jude, it's a short little book, but it can be a bumpy ride. Okay? Number three, their mouths utter arrogant words. Proud people. Arrogant. Haughty. High-minded. Do it the way I do it. Live your life like me. Look at me. Arrogance. Wow. What's the last one? Flattering people for their own advantage. Hey! Getting people to fall in love with me for my own advantage so I can lead you. <laughs> Almost I pull you into my web <laughs> type thing here, right? I mean, that's kind of what he's unpacking for us, isn't it? What are these? Jude said they're already in the church. And mind you, I believe they're in every church. And I believe we got to guard against this. And I believe we got to do some self-evaluation. If I find myself being critical all the time and discontented and, and grumbling all the time and complaining about everything all the time, there's sign number one. If I see it's got to be my way or the highway all the time, there's sign number two. If my mouth is arrogant and I'm just proudful and arrogant, there's sign number three. If, if I'm always, you know, if I'm, if, I, if I'm flattering people for my advantage, for something I can get from you, come, let's hang out, let's go do lunch, let's, let's do something. It's for my own advantage. But if I know I can't get anything out of you, I may not even give you the time of day. Connection Cafe may be full, but I may walk through 50 people and not even speak to them because there's nothing, no advantage for me there. But I'll find the ones that there's advantage for me. Are you tracking with me, guys? Now, I'm not making this stuff up. Did I make any of that up? That's all in Scripture. The problem is it's not being preached. It's not being taught in fear of offending someone. That is the pathway to apostasy. That is the pathway to a heretic. That is the pathway to false teaching. 
Because we should stand every time and say, listen, it is not about me. I just want you to see Jesus. I just want you to hear his word. I want you to fall in love with him. And he's the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm not going to convict you. You see, early on in my ministry, I thought that's what I had to do. I thought I had to do the preaching and the convicting. <laughs> really? Let that settle in a minute. I thought I had to do the preaching and the convicting. I thought it was my role to preach the book and then come to you and tell you what you're doing wrong and get you to repent and confess. Man, that was that was rough. I had a huge learning curve to get through there. And then when people wouldn't respond the way I thought they would should respond, I would get mean and hateful. And, and, and God finally had to get a hold of me and said, Listen, I've not called you to do the convicting. That's my job. Read John 14. Read John 15. Read John 16. John 17. You'll find the work of the Holy Spirit there. You see, I felt like I had to do the work of the Holy Spirit because somehow I didn't think he could do it. And what's that called? That's called pride. Right? I mean, I'm telling you, there was a learning curve. I was so green right out of the gate. But the sad thing is, I see people that's been Christians for a long, long time that have that very same mindset that we find in verse number 16. And we got to be careful about that. Let me try to smile right here, okay? <laughs> we got to be careful about that. So, so we're talking about now, and all that's by way of introduction and review to try to get us connected here. And I've got a few more minutes. We're looking at verses 8 through 16, and we're talking now about these actions of these apostates. And if, if you want to jot these down, I've got a little outline here, verses 8 down through verse number 16, that you may find interesting. Verses 8 through 10, the first action is they reject authority. I'm going to come back and unpack that one in just a moment. The second action is they walk in error. We see that in verse number 11. I mean, there's error in the way that they are walking Woe to them, for they've traveled in the way of Cain. And I'll talk about that later. We see in verses 12 and 13 that they lead falsely. Verses 12 and 13. And then verse 14 through 16, it's all about pleasing self. Okay? So that that is a, a very good little outline here. And I want us just to dig in here and just look briefly now for the next couple moments here at number one, reject authority. And here I want you to see several things. So we've already looked in verse number 3 and 4. We see where Jude was talking about the church. He went back and gave an historical example. He came back in verse number 8 and said, Nevertheless, these dreamers. Now, he says three things about these individuals, and I think it may be on the screen. Three things he says about these individuals, that they defile their flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme glorious ones. Now, here we see where they defile their flesh. What do I I mean by that? Well... It just means that it's all about flesh being satisfied. Now, now some have even taken it to the nth degree, but I want you to know also it doesn't start there. It starts with small things, with the my way or the highway type thing, as it says in verse number 16, right? Go back and look in verse number 16, um, walking according to their, own, to their desires. What is, what is my desire? And, and pushing that desire on people and getting a following to follow after their desire. And a lot of times whenever we think, well, they defiled the flesh, we think immediately about the homosexual lifestyle. Because Jude addresses that or, or, or Paul addresses that in Romans. Peter addresses that and other verses of Scripture address that. And, and I believe it does talk about that as well. But sometimes if we're not careful as Christians and believers, we kind of grab that and we throw it off. That's not me. That's somebody else. But it can be you. Right? 
But how does it start? It starts by just fulfilling the desires of the flesh. In the book of Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh. And we got to be careful that we're not living to fulfill the desires of the flesh. And notice once again, they start off as small things. And they end up as huge things. But they start off as, as small things. I want you to look at a verse of Scripture here. Turn, if you will, to the book of Titus. I want you to look in Titus chapter 1, verse 15. And just talking about defiling the flesh. In Titus chapter 1, in verse number 15, it says, To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. Now, read that again. Did you get it? To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, their mind and their conscience are defiled. And they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, disqualified for any good works. Then Hebrews twelve fifteen is another reference about, about the defilement that takes place on an individual. So defiling the flesh, all right? The second thing I want you to see back in the book of Jude is that they are rejecting authority. I mean, they're just not going to sit under the leadership of anybody, okay? It's their way or the highway, right? I'm involved in our Illinois State Association Missions Board. And I'm, I'm the treasurer on that board and we're trying to plant churches across the state of Illinois. And in doing that, we're studying a lot of different techniques and a lot of different styles of church planning. But do you know what the fastest church planning group is that's out there? They're a bunch of heretics. They've sold out the Word of God to plant churches. And they're drawing people by the hundreds, but they're not preaching the truth of the gospel. Matter of fact, that same group will go hang out in the bars and drink a beer with their buddies and talk about Jesus. Now, something wrong with that picture. Hello? Matter of fact, they're the cool group. They're the group that's got all the answers and everybody else that's traveled the gospel way for the thousands of years. They didn't know anything, but now we've discovered all the answers. Really? Ecclesiastes 3 tells me there's nothing new under the sun. Have you seen have you seen that and, and they're so arrogant. Let me smile again right here. <laughs> they really are. So pious. I'm like, are you kidding me? Anyhow, they're drawing big crowds. They're planting churches all across America. They're sweeping in young people like crazy. But I tell you what, they're not preaching the truth of the word. They are not declaring to the church the whole counsel of God. As Paul said, I have not kept back anything from you when he was talking to his pastors that he called over from Ephesus to Miletus when he was leaving there. He said, I've declared unto you the whole counsel of God. I want to one day be able to stand before God and say, God, listen, I'm not a perfect guy, and I want you to know that. Of course, he already knows that. <laughs> But I do want to be able to say, I did to the best of my ability, God, declare the whole counsel of your word as you called me to do. That's my goal. I mean, one day I got to stand before him. One day you got to stand before him. We got to give an account of our life. So they reject authority. There's a lot of people rejecting authority today. We got to be careful with that. 
Then they blaspheme the glorious ones. What's that mean? Well, you, you see that unpacked a little bit more in verse number 9. I'm not going to go there right yet. But here I want you to see these are their actions. Now, these three actions, I want you to see how they reveal the inner attitudes of these apostates, false witnesses, these heretics. You see, because your attitude, you've often, I've often heard it said, maybe you've heard it said as well, it's not original with me. I think I read it originally from John Maxwell, and I'm not even sure it's original with him. But he often says that your attitude determines what? Your altitude. Why? Because it's, turn, it's determining how you behave. The attitude of these apostates, these heretics, these false witnesses, the fact that they are, the fact that they are, they defile their flesh, the fact that they reject authority, the fact that they blaspheme the glorious ones, these, these actions are a result of their attitude, how they are, and I think I have them on the screen here for you, their, their attitude, they have this attitude of physical immorality. I mean, like, I don't care, it's my body, I do with all what I want to with it. Well, the Word of God says you've been purchased, you've been bought with a price, you are no longer your own. It's not your body just to do whatever you want to with it. Our bodies are to glorify God, right? But we have this attitude, I can do whatever I want to. And you go back in Romans chapter 1, and I love reading Romans chapter 1 out of the King James Version because there it's talking about the individuals, how, how they held the truth, then they suppressed the truth, then they rejected the truth, and then God turned them over to a reprobate mind. And the fact of the matter is how, how they had the truth of the Word of God, but then they started suppressing it and withdrawing from it some and, and, and manipulating and massaging it and making it say and feel what they wanted to say and feel until finally they rejected it altogether. And they came to the mindset, it's, it's my body, I do what I want to with it, right? They rejected the authority that was over them, and of course that attitude led to physical immorality and intellectual insubordination. I mean, just completely insubordinate. I mean, I'm not going to answer anybody. As a matter of fact, if you have an insubordinate spirit, let me tell you, that's of the devil. Would it be like Jesus? Did he have an insubordinate spirit? No, he didn't. He submitted to the will of the Father, Right? And whenever we walk around with this high and mighty, holier than thou, self-righteous, rejecting authority, and my body, I do what I want to it, that's the road to becoming an apostate. That's what they're doing. That's the attitude. Intellectually insubordinate. There's no right or wrong. Who, who says? It's my life. I only have one of these, I'll live it my way. Ah, sad thing is, Many are dying and going to hell way too early at a very young age because of living this type of lifestyle. Now, I've never seen the show, but I did see on the news this morning that there was a reality kid, 20 years old, on MTV. And I don't even know what he did. And I don't even know anything about his life. I know nothing about his spiritual condition, but I just thought it was sad, the lifestyle that he lived and how he died. He went mudding in his truck. Did you guys see that? On, I, don't even, I don't even know. It's an MTV reality show. I don't watch MTV. I don't see this reality show, so I don't even know what it is. 20 years old, out there raising you-know-what in his Ford Bronco and got stuck in the mud, and the fumes came inside the cab and killed him and I think somebody else. I'm thinking, you know what? Look at that kind of lifestyle. What does that lifestyle lead to? It leads to a short life. That's my body. You know, physical immorality, that attitude, that mindset, that, that intellectual insubordination. I don't want to listen to anybody. Listen, there, there are some laws, universal laws that are, that are in place by God. And when you break those, 
you will pay the consequences of those, right? Guys, you're, you're free to, let me say, especially to teenagers and young people and young adults in here, you're free to choose anything you want to choose. You, you go any direction you want to go. You break any law, do anything you want to do. You're free to make that choice, but you're not free to choose the consequence of that choice. It will come as a direct result of the choice that you make. It will come. So this intellectual insubordination, then the spiritual reference. That attitude led to them, if you look at the latter part of verse number 8, blaspheming glorious ones. All of this, this mindset, this attitude is what led to this road to an apostate. Look, if you will, in verse number 8, it says, Nevertheless, these dreamers. I think I have this on the slide also. I tried to put a bunch up there so you could, you could get it and I could ramble and you can read and write some things down and I can keep talking and trying to keep this thing going in the right direction. But these dreamers, they are unrealistic in thinking that their ways will bring satisfaction. Right? They're unrealistic in thinking that. I mean, you, you can be insubordinate, you can be spiritually reverent, you can defile your body all you want to, and somehow you think you're living the life and, and there's happiness and satisfaction. At the end of the day, they're miserable. There's no happiness in that. There's no satisfaction in that. Okay? So, so Jude said they're dreamers. These dreamers. These apostates, these false prophets, these false witnesses, these heretics, they're thinking that they found the answer and they're going their way and there's no satisfaction at the end of the day. Now, let me try to unpack verse number 9 and I'll be done. Verse 10, we're going to lean into briefly and be done. But verse number 9, I'm not even sure I can do it justice in the time that I have left. But let's read verse number 9. It says, Yet Michael, the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body, he did not dare bring an abusive condemnation against him, but said, The Lord... Rebuke you. Now, theologians and Bible scholars and those who seriously study the Bible will find a problem with this passage of Scripture because nowhere mentioned in the Old Testament do we find any record of Michael disputing Satan over the, over the body of Moses. There's no record whatsoever in the Old Testament of that. If you go to the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, right before Joshua, you find that Moses dies and God buries him. Now, Old Testament, that's all we know. But let me remind you of something. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of other books that were written at this time frame. Some are, some are called the Apocrypha books, which, by the way, are not part of the canon of Scripture. They're not the inspired books, but, however, there are some very true, valid statements and recollections. As a matter of fact, a, a good secular study book, and if you want to study Jewish customs and history of the day of Jesus, I encourage you to order the book of the works of Josephus. And Josephus was a Jewish historian. And he just wrote from a pure secular, nothing. He didn't try to be a spiritual writer. He just kind of wrote the, the historical events of that day when Jesus was living. And you can find some great information, some background to give some, some content to, to the biblical record and what we find there. But, however, for me, I'm one of those that just believes that if it's in the Bible, God wants it to be there. And the fact that God allowed Jude to pen it here apparently tells me that that did take place. Right? So I'm not going to argue that it's not found in the Old Testament and where Jude get this reference. We believe that he got it from the Testament of Moses. Uh, you can go back and you can study some of the Apocrypha books and you'll find the, it's called the Assumption of Moses, the Testament of Moses, some other writings, but, but that are not included in the canon of Scripture. But I still believe that's something that's took place. Now, now, with that being said, and there's a whole lot more that can be said about that, and you can sit in theological classes and you can debate that for weeks. 
Okay? So I'm not even going to do that. I'm just, it's mentioned in Jude. I believe what we have before us is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God, exactly what God wants us to have. And the fact that God led Jude to pen it and write it is enough for me. Hello? So I know in Deuteronomy it says that God buried him and God did bury him. I, I believe before God buried him, I believe there was a fight for Moses' body between Michael, the archangel, and Satan. But here's the point. Don't, don't, don't get distracted there. Let's stay on task. Let's stay within the context of the scripture. Okay? Don't allow that to distract you. It happened. God buried him. It says in Deuteronomy, God buried him. God did bury him. But what it doesn't tell you, before that, there was a debate going on. And the debate was, was between Michael, the chief archangel, and Satan, the chief fallen angel. So you got the two generals going head to head, so to speak. Are you getting this? Now they're going head to head. They're in this battle. But here's the point that I don't want you to miss. Apostates, false witnesses, heretics. The Bible says in verse number 8 that they blaspheme glorious ones. In other words, there's no spiritual reverence whatsoever for spiritual beings. Michael, as I have in the notes here, and I, you ought to write this down. Although Michael was powerful and authoritative, boom, man, he was a beast, right? You remember the angel that was carrying the message to Daniel in the book of Daniel? And he got held up, and who came to his rescue? <laughs> Michael, right? Man, he came and he took care of business and he got the message delivered. I mean, Michael, the archangel's a stud, right? He's powerful. I mean, he's the man. He is authoritative. But I want you to notice that he did not dare dispute with Satan, the chief fallen angel. He left that in the hands of an almighty God. He said, I am not even going to go there. Lord, you rebuke him. With that statement, you should find comfort in knowing that we are not going to cast out any demons around here. We're not going to have a spiritual service of laying hands and rebuking Satan and demons and exorcisms and the such. I don't think God wants us messing with that. I think we need to follow the example of Michael. Here we find the heretics and the apostates and the false teachers and those going down that path, they're messing around with that stuff, blaspheming the glorious ones, fallen or not, the spiritual realm, thinking they've got control and authority over that. And it's creeped its way into the church. We need to follow. The point of the context that I think Jude is wanting us to see is that we need to follow the example of Michael, the archangel, and say, Lord, you rebuke them. God, you handle this one. I'm going to submit to your authority in this. Now, in the name of Jesus, do we have authority? Sure we do. Right? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Who's the he that's in the world? Satan, the demons of hell, and everything else. Greater is he that's in you. But there there's, there's sometimes this sense of arrogance and pride and, 
and drawing a following in a crowd when I can slap you on the head and rebuke Satan and demons cast out of you and draw a crowd for selfish gain and self-worth. And you say, did you make all that up? No, Jude's going there. I'm just not going to be able to get there tonight. Right? That's what he's saying. So, listen, I'm going to preach the book and I'm going to tell you to pray about it. I'm going to say, God, Lord, you rebuke that individual. You rebuke that demon. You rebuke that situation. I'm going to leave it in your hands. I think that's the context of the discussion that we have here. Jude is saying, hey, I am not going to jump in there and fight that battle. Or, or Michael's saying, I'm not going to jump in there and fight that battle. I'm going to let the Lord take care of that one. So I believe in wrapping this thing up and coming to a close tonight that we need to take heart the caution that Jude encourages us with and take heed to that, that we do not be those in verse number 8, those that defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. And the last slide, I think I've got one more slide right here that I want you to see. Rather than pronouncing judgment against Satan, we should appeal to the Father saying, Lord, the Lord rebuke you. That's my final thought there I want you to see. Rather than rashly pronouncing a, a railing judgment against Satan, we just need to withdraw and say, Lord, you handle that. Matter of fact, in studying in preparation for this message, I went on the internet and I started searching for churches that would cast out demons. Just pretending I had one and I needed somebody to take care of that. There's ministries all across America that claim they'll take care of that for you. Have you ever, have you ever went and... Don't, don't mess with it. It's, it's some stupid stuff out there. But in just way of backing up, what I'm thinking if there's some false prophets, there's a bunch of them out there. A whole bunch of churches... Some within driving distance of this church. You just call up and say, hey, I got a demon. Come on in here. Come on in. Well, you know, I, I'm, mm -mm. Lord, you take care of that. Now, I'll pray for you. Right? I'm not, no, please don't misunderstand me. Yeah, we're going to pray. But we're not in that kind of business. I mean, even Michael the archangel deferred to the Lord. Who ha do, do you think Michael had authority? Yeah. You think he was powerful? Well, oh, yeah. But even he said, you know what, I'm not even going to fight that battle. Lord, may the Lord rebuke you. So we've got to be careful right there. That's some of the actions. Reject authority, number one. We'll, we'll close out with the rest of them next week, and I'll try to get through the rest of the, maybe one more point next week, and we'll go point at a time and try to unpack these. But I want you to leave here. I, I just don't want to go through the book and say, hey, we did it. I want you to leave here with something you can take away and, and, and get a hold of. And hopefully there's been something that's kind of rocked your world a little bit. And you know, I'm going to go study that a little bit. I'm going to dig a little deeper in that area. And, and I hope you, hope you do that, okay? All right? Now, okay. And I'm not even, even going to get into all those. No, I'm just going to leave it at that. Just let's let the Lord do that work. That's what Michael did. I'm going to follow his lead. He's a pretty good cat to follow, don't you think? All right, so let me close. Father, thank you for our time together and thank you for your word and thank you for the Bible and thank you for the example that's set there and the instruction that's given and the heeds and the warnings that are there and, and help us, God, to keep in check our attitudes because, God, it really is our attitudes that lead to our actions and our actions really reveal what we, who we really are. And, and, God, help us not to become heretics or false teachers or or apostates. And God, the only way we can not become that is stay true to you and stay true to your word and to stay in the book and, and to walk humbly before you and realize, God, we're nothing without you. And it's you living in us. And, and, and God, we're, just help us, God, to stay there and not get so full of ourselves that, that we draw attention for ourselves or 
self-gain and self-worth and use people and step on people to climb the ladder and get our name promoted and draw in a big crowd. And God, there's enough of that mess going on in our world today. I pray, God, you'd help us to stay true here at Victory Church to your word. And we ask your blessings on each one that's here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.